0: everyone. Jordan McPherson, Miami Herald, Marlins beat writer and host of Fish Bites here. Some breaking news to talk about before our latest episode, which we recorded on Sunday night. The Marlins announced on Monday that right-handed pitcher Sixto Sanchez, the club's top prospect and the number 11 overall prospect in baseball, according to MLB Pipeline, will undergo season-ending shoulder surgery. An MRI taken on Friday after Sanchez felt soreness as he increased his velocity during his throwing program revealed that Sanchez has a small tear in the posterior capsule of his right shoulder. The surgery date has not yet been scheduled, but the Marlins anticipate Sanchez to be healthy once spring training starts in 2022. Regardless, the surgery puts a somber end to a frustrating four and a half months for Sanchez, who, dating back to spring training, never really had the opportunity to get his feet under him. Between all the issues that happened in spring, between the late start with the visa issue, a false positive test, and then the injury that happened at the alternate training site the day before opening day, he just never got a chance. He was hoping to build off a 2020 season in which he made his MLB debut, which included nine starts, two of which were in the playoffs in which he posted a 3.64 ERA with 41 strikeouts against 16 walks through 47 innings. He was hoping to work his way into a rotation with his fastball that hits triple digits and his changeup that misses bats, and in that show the Marlins why he could potentially be that top of the rotation starter they hoped to get when they acquired him from the Philadelphia Phillies in February 2019 as part of the JT Real Muto trade. Instead, his season ends before it could even start. We'll get more info on Sanchez throughout the week and provide a more robust update in next week's podcast. For now, that's what we have, and now here's the latest episode of Fish Bites. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. Hope you all had a great 4th of July. I'm Jordan McPherson, he's Andre Fernandez. Trey, how you doing?
1: Great. If you hear that popping sound, it's because we're recording on the night of the 4th of July, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, there's one right now. So fireworks going off behind me there. I mean, Jordan's probably got soundproof windows at his hotel in Atlanta, so you're not going to hear anything from his end. But it's the so, 4th of July.
0: Yeah, all the fireworks I saw came in the 9th and 10th inning. It, exactly. And the was sparked, so.
1: Yeah. You saw enough with what, what with the with with the debacle you had the, the witness and cover on Sunday night.
0: Yeah, it was an interesting one to say the least, but also one that kind of feels like we've come to anticipate this point. With all right, so Marlins lost eight to seven to the Braves in ten innings. They were they were up seven to three going into the bottom of the ninth. They had Yemi Garcia on the mound. The guy you want. They added three runs in the top half of the inning, and then the Braves rallied to tie it up in the ninth. Four runs off Jimmy Garcia, and then in the tenth inning, Max Freed, starting pitcher, with the pinch hit, bases loaded, two out, game winning walk off single to center field. The Braves win it eight to seven. Second time this year that they've walked, they had the walk-off win, the series finale at Truist, and it also brought back memories to a certain game that Dre covered back. What was that? Twenty eighteen.
1: Twenty eighteen, when Lewis Brinson homered and they had a six-run lead, and it, it just—it was a meltdown, and the lead just evaporated under a, a wave of, of uh, tomahawk chops and and. And the war chant and everything, which, and not the war chant that I'm going to get used to pretty soon. No, this, this is the, the Braves war chant. And it was, so it, it, it just, it's, it's, just amazing that again, this continues to happen to them and, and serious problem that they, that they have. And something that unfortunately I think they, you know, they, I know like an old co- a former colleague of ours, Wells, even pointed it out on Twitter today, they just, they failed to address that in the off season. I mean, they went with the in-house candidate, and look, Yumi's not a bad high-leverage guy most of the time, but he struggled this year in that situation. And then you put in Anthony Bass—that was another one of the the so-called guys that they were counting on in that role. Sixteen blown saves as a team. I mean, that's that's a that's an eye-popping stat. Now, I mean, I don't know where it ranks overall. Maybe I don't know if it, you you don't know if you looked that up already or not, but. That's got to be pretty high among the entire major leagues right now in terms of how many blown saves.
0: It definitely is. Uh, it was tied with the heading into Sunday. It was tied with the Dodgers, Giants, and Cardinals for the third most in Major League Baseball. The Mariners are second at seventeen. Philadelphia Phillies have the most at twenty-two, and that's. Exactly- I was going
1: to say the Phillies are blowing saves left and right, even more, even worse. But outside of them, I can't think of anybody else that was really you know this bad
0: yeah yeah and it also goes to where the marlins bullpen was at that point heading into sunday which we'll talk about why it was the state that it was on sunday because of stuff that happened a couple games earlier right Uh, they were also richard blair had already thrown in that game in the game on sunday uh anthony bender who continued to impress had an incredible weekend through the eighth uh Dylan Flor- Flyer threw
1: in all three games uh, yeah, If Flyer, I recall yeah.
0: Yeah, Fire threw in all three games 29 pitches, 21 strikes, 3 scoreless innings uh, Bender threw 3 scoreless He had two, inni- 2 shutout Perfect innings 6 up, 6 down, 6 strikeouts on Friday And then retired The top of the Braves order in the 8th uh, Dylan Floro There was no way he was pitching On Sunday after throwing 63 pitches combined Friday and Saturday So <laughs> At that point, when you're in the high leverage situations, from the guys they had left, Jimmy and Bass were really the only two guys that you feel comfortable, unless you're throwing a Stephen O'Kurt, a Zach Pop, which you don't. I you can tell they weren't comfortable putting those type of guys into that type of situation yet.
1: It, can, can we insert Mattingly's uh, raid clip right now, the umpire on Friday, because that that expresses in in a nutshell. I mean, I read lips, as we, I'm sure a lot of us did. And, and I, let's, let's just insert the word screwed where the F words would go. He basically told the umpire, you screwed us for the whole weekend. There you have it. And he—and they really did. And they really did. I mean, I know we're going to dive into the, the shenanigans of Friday, but it's, as soon as it happened, you knew we are behind the eight ball when it came to pitching. And, and it does. It just has such a ripple effect, especially with the shape this team been in the whole season dealing with injuries in the pitching staff to begin with. It was just, it's it just amazing, amazingly bad on on Friday how that went down.
0: Yeah, and since we've buried the lead enough about what happened on Friday,
1: <laughs> people know Jordan. People know.
0: Oh, people definitely know, but just to have make that rehash and bring it up again, yeah. the latest chapter of the Ronald Acuna Jr. hit by pitch saga with the Miami Marlins. Happened yeah. again on Friday when the absolute toughest, fully intentionally hitting hit by pitch pitcher out there, Pablo Lopez, threw a 91.6 mile an hour per hour sinker, which is about three miles lower than his average on the season, that hit Ronald Acuna Jr., the first pitch of the game Friday. And as Acuna walks around, takes about 10 seconds, just standing at, in the box after being hit on that big the big padding that he has on his, shoulder, on his elbow. Brian Snicker walks out, throws a fit. The umpires convene together, and they go, yeah, Pablo Lopez, you intentionally hit him, you're out. One pitch into the game. And again, it's Pablo Lopez we're talking about here. I'm pretty sure his dog, Benny, I'm pretty sure I'm more terrified of what he would do than what Pablo was going to try to do after he got ejected. And... Again, Benny looks like a sweetheart as well. I'm not trying to say anything, Pablo. I'm just—he's gonna decide here. Love it. But in the same vein, it completely derailed the Marlins in terms of their pitching. Their bullpen had thrown eight innings that game. Which, granted, Ross Detweiler throwing three shutout to to hold it down there that helped. But
1: yeah, he did what he could. I mean, yeah,
0: he did what he all could. All staff
1: did a great job to hold it to one nothing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But in that same vein, it you knew that at some point during those three games, it was kind to come back to bite them. And it ultimately came back to bite them on Sunday.
1: I don't care if Benny was on the mound, Pablo, your dog, my cat, whoever it is. The, the, the issue is why instigate this entire, why inflame this entire thing with a call like that? And then let yourself be influenced by Brian Snickers tirade there. Uh, we know because then, then you're just doing where Atlanta's just going to have these strategic shenanigans where they're going to want this to happen to scare the Marlins from pitching Acuna a certain a certain way and basically flip every series whenever this happens. And the, it's that the umpires. I mean, I, in a way, I don't blame Atlanta. It's smart. It's a smart strategy if you're going to have that, have them do that every time. If you're going to get away with it. So these umpires are enabling the Braves to do that all the time. Well, guess what? It's going to keep happening as much as possible, and 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 really, it, you know, it's BS. It doesn't matter. I mean, look, it doesn't even matter. Agreed with you, Pablo. Great individual, whatever you know. You, you want you, you name it. It doesn't. You could put again. I'm getting a little graphic for this, but you could put the, a total a-hole up there, throw a pitch. And hit Acuna and all of that. It doesn't matter, though. The point is, this is ancient. Not ancient, but this is past history already. It's not like this has happened a bunch of times recently, and you have to be on edge. And worst case scenario, okay, you want to be on edge, and you want to be on the safe side? We'll give each side a warning. Talk to each side. You know, say something. But this, this it just looks so bad to just this happen, and then, just have like a knee-jerk reaction because the opposing manager went out to complain. Really? That's it? You know how many times money could have done that? We've, as you mentioned and everyone else mentioned this weekend with all the times that, you know, Brian Anderson and others have been beamed in, in the past and, and, you know, haven't shown anybody up or done anything like that. I mean, again, I think it, it's it's strategic by the Braves. And if they're going to keep getting away with it, hey, I don't. you know what? I get it. Try Why not? Because it, it, these umpires really, I mean, screwed it up. They really did.
0: Yeah. And Don Matting mentioned that. Miguel Rojas mentioned that. Pablo Lopez even mentioned the frustration of, of all of it. And when I, I got serve as the pool reporter to ask uh, the crew chief, the umpire iron crew chief, what went and everything. And he mentioned the quote unquote past history, which, stems back to a pitcher in Jose Urania who a isn't on the team anymore and B did this three years ago yeah it was and again sure acuna has been hit five other times over a span of 53 games against the Marlins he's been hit five if, times in a span of what was it in the span of hundreds of pitches that have gone his way
1: if this and, is Tigers Braves and Jose hits him again even then I'll be like okay I get it yeah, we're not talking about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And Don manically brought that up himself, going, This is past history. 2018's, 2018's over. This is basically none of the guys who were on this team were there when that happened to the point where, quote unquote, it's like we have a ghost in this house on this team still because they think that yeah. everything is still there. Yeah.
1: You're never going to move on from it. They're never, they're, they're never going to be able to move on from it if this is the case because then you're enabling Atlanta to continue to do stuff like this. If it happens again, and I know Snicker pointed out, okay, it's the first pitch of the game, and it's not the first. Ever, okay, Acuna has taken exception when he got hit on a pitch deeper into a game yeah. not that long ago. He all oh, those but two.
0: Garra hit him a few years back when it was a reliever When a two strike count. Yeah, he, he did the same it's- thing.
1: It's gonna it's gonna continue and unless it's managed better by 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 the umpires like that you can't do something like this and just assume you know what I mean like like again like I said if you're gonna be prepared if you, if you're gonna be on edge about it take the proper steps at least take the first step to say hey okay look this this and that war warn each side a knee-jerk reaction like that I mean and then look at the consequences that it has on the whole series.
0: And on that note, we're just going to let Don Mattingly, Miguel Rojas, and Pablo Lopez they all spoke for a very long, long period of time, Friday postgame, we're going to play some highlights from the three of them and just let them explain from their point of view just everything that happened on Friday.
2: Yeah, I I was really disappointed with the way it got handled. Uh, Really disappointed in the umpiring crew. Uh, When it originally happened, if you really watch close – Pablo turns his head and it, you could tell he didn't, he didn't mean to hit him. There's no reason to hit it, Acuna. For us, I mean, this guy's been a, he's a great player. Um, we have tons of respect for the Braves and we, we've even talked about it openly about this is a club that, you know, we gotta, we gotta prove that we can play with. We feel like they were the class of the division. So, and, There's absolutely nothing going on this year with with the brace. So, and when Dan tells me, you know, because of the history and it always happens and it's always Acuna, it's just not true. It's not true. Andy, I'm pretty sure, Brian Anderson's been hit six times since... Acuna's got hit. I think Miggy's maybe hit just as many. Pete O'Brien's got a broken rib from Soroka, 100% on purpose. So this isn't. There's nothing. That's over. 18's over. And for Dan to tell me that this is a history. There's been. There's been history in the past from a guy that's not even with us anymore. So. To throw Pablo Lopez out of a game on the first pitch is abs. He got basically Dan got bullied into it. The, when it happened, nobody did. Nobody said anything. They didn't come out and start this right away. 100 percent. Just I don't I don't know what happened to Dan and what he he was thinking there. But to tell me this is in the history and this is in part of this is 2018. This happened. Right. And to say he's not the only guy that gets hit. We've been hit plenty of times and we're not complaining about it. So it got mishandled. 100% got mishandled. No, we were just trying to get ahead, but try to pick a spot like in the like inside the strike zone, you know, like. Uh, I was telling, like, you can go back and watch my last star against the Atlanta Braves. It was a Sunday at home. My first two pitches were, like, fastballs trying to go up and in in the strike zone, you know, try to work ahead, get ahead. We all know Kuhn is a superstar. We all know the things he does. You also don't want to put him in base because he's a guy that can steal 40, 50 bases a year. But that was just a poorly executed sinker, you know. Um, I just... The ball just ran instead of sink and unfortunately hit him. And
3: that's not what I want. That's not what you want on the first pitch of the nine. What I saw is a situation mishandled by the umpires. They never, uh, if they thought it was on on purpose and intentional, the the guy behind the player or whatever, if they have an idea that what's going on or what happened in the past or whatever they, they think about, they should have, they should have thrown him out right away, you know? without, like, getting together or, or waiting for their manager to to go out there and tell them what to do, you know? That's one of the things that I, like, I'm, I'm so disappointed about, uh, not, not just the umpires, but the way they they handle the situation because uh, I'm not, like, throwing my hands in the air every time I get hit by pitch by them or Andy every time Andy uh, got hit by pitch in the last four years by them. And if I have a problem with one of the guys, like I will, I will solve it or I will try to, you know, make it make it right. Talking to talking to the, the the pitcher or whatever it is, you know, Uh there's there's different ways that you can that you can take care of business and not just going out there and trying to bully the umpire and the other team just because, you know, one of your best players is getting hit by pitch. At the end of the day, we don't we don't we don't want to hit a, a Ronald Acuna. Ronald Cunha has been killing us with the ball down and away. You guys recall this guy hit a homer when 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 we throw a fastball down and away, you know? And this is the first time he got hit by pitch this year. You know? Like we played two series already. Span of whatever, like nine games, seven games or whatever it is. And we're trying to pitch him up and in. You know, that's not a that's that's not something that is new. Pablo is the nicest guy in the world. I, I understand they don't they don't need to know about our players and they we don't want them to know about us you know we're playing a different teams and at the end of the day, I just care about my players and I know Pablo didn't do that on purpose.
0: Okay, now that the Brave series has been recapped pretty thoroughly, we're at the halfway point of the season uh, the Saturday's game marked game 81, Sunday obviously was game 82. The Marlins are 35-47, and 47, 12 games under, about nine games back of first place. Uh, overall, it was about what we probably should have expected from this team through the first half of the season.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, before we go, I forgot one last thing in our last segment. Shout out to Tommy Hutton for always being Tommy Hutton. I yeah. loved how he reacted to all of this this weekend, including the torn piece of paper on Sunday. That was on camera. It was a
0: representation of what I did to my game story as the ninth inning unfolded. So
1: thank you for being you. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So on that note, yes, I, you know, and we've been saying it for weeks on this show and, and, you know, could it be, could it have been a little better? Maybe if injuries didn't have happened, wouldn't have happened. But again, I mean, I, I don't know. We both saw this team, we all saw this year as a another year of progression where they were going to be a little closer to their goals as we're going to come in, make their debuts, continue to develop, that sort of thing. With the veterans they brought in, were they going to be a little better, a little more competitive? Yeah. And they have been competitive. I mean, you look at it, a lot of close games. But when these injuries happen, you're trying to piece together the rotation and you're piecing together the lineup one day and then it's just hard to expect the team to truly contend. I mean, they want to say that, fine. They want to, you know, put that out there. But the truth is, yeah, for a while now, for a a month now, ever since that 1-8 and road trip, you knew that that was it. Like, pretty much now you have to start looking ahead and you start to start, you know, completely thinking. They're always thinking big picture, but you have to completely start thinking big picture again. And I think even the trade the other day, you start to, make some strategic moves financially like they did with that move for, you know, with the the panic move. Um, And now as we get closer to the deadline, I think that's when things are going to get interesting these next three, these next four weeks, actually, as you see some of these veterans, which other ball clubs that are in contention are going to have an interest in, you know, acquiring some of these guys, even some of these pitchers that have been among the better pitchers in that bullpen. Have some value, I think, for some contenders. We'll see how much the Marlins, who, who the Marlins are willing to part with, and who not.
0: And just to clarify, by panic move, he means four-player jokes, not an actual desperation move.
1: No, with a K. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: I should have, I should have said that. I thought, the, hearing those jokes all weekend, I was
0: like, yeah, let's throw one more in there with a K. Yeah, and but to go back to the a lot of close games. It's not just a lot. Fifty-six of eighty-two games have been decided by three runs or fewer. 26 of 82 games been decided by one run. It's literally 70% of their games have been decided by three runs or fewer on either side of it. And in those games, they're 19 and 37. They're seven and 19 and 26 games decided by one run. It's a lot of games that if things – obviously, if a few things happen this way, one thing changed here or there – could flip the record, but obviously they ain't shown they are still stuck in that point of these clutch moments that just don't come.
1: When you get to the point, look, 2018, they didn't know they, they couldn't even contend. I mean, 2019, they were a little better and they started to contend. And last year they did what they did in a shorter season, but they're at the point where they're getting there. They're getting a little, they're getting a little closer. Now you're in the close games. Now this team Yes, part of it is injuries. Part of it is, you know, patching together all the time, the lineup and the, and the rotation, et cetera. But a lot of it is because you're dealing with a young team. A lot of these guys are just prospects that are getting their first experience. They have to learn how to win. They have to learn how to win, and that will happen with time. It will happen little by little, but they're not there yet. And, I, and But, again, like I think I mentioned this to you last week. When you these teams that you see build toward – being a contender over a, you know, over several years, it, it it's it steps. So they're at the step where they're playing close games. Now the next step is winning close games. You may see that depending on what moves they make in next year. That's the important thing is continue to see how the big picture fits as we go forward, and this is going to be obviously a huge month for that depending on what they can acquire before the deadline.
0: Yeah. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back for the second half, we'll talk some all-star game. The Marlins have their representative for both the yep. all-star game and for the future game. So we'll dive into that and we'll do a little bit of Myron League talk as well in the second half of the show. So we will be right back. All right, we're back everyone. Well, the all-star break is just over a week away and the all-star game in itself is just about a week away as a result. And the Marlins, once again, they have one representative, and I don't think anybody's surprised at Trevor Rogers. I mean, no, it obviously. would have been a complete it would have been a complete shock if it was anybody other than him.
1: No, absolutely. I mean, what Trevor's done is pretty remarkable. I mean, you, you look at the jump he made last year, we talked about it from the minor leagues then come up and then be effective as effective as he was the slider got so much better it, it it literally allowed him to vault a few other guys that they probably had in mind on this sort of timetable and and then to not just come up but to, to dominate the way he has it's been pretty impressive to see I mean it's good to see because again all that talk we've said right now about the long term in the future you're seeing a potential long-term piece in that rotation develop and 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 show you what he can do. I mean, I'm interested in seeing how he finishes out the season. Obviously we know they're not going to, it shouldn't push him to the point where it's too many innings toward the end of the year. But I think he's probably got about maybe two months worth more of starts depending on, you know, how they manage those innings, the rest of the way. And it'll be fun to see, it will be fun to see how he closes out because it's going to be, I think his, his cap is, is uh, cap, I'm sorry, his high as far as innings in a season is 136, I believe, in the minors a few years ago, somewhere around there, 136, something like that. So right now, you know, he's getting around that close to that 100 any mark, I think, or so, more or less. So, so it's going to be with a few more starts, we'll see how the durability holds up, how, how he keeps on adjusting to to other teams' lineups. Again, great to see a guy like him, you know, that, that – that's come a long way and, and, and really, you know, impressed a lot in the last couple of years with the way he's made this huge jump. Yeah.
0: In 2019 in the minors, he threw 136 and one third innings. That's what it was. Yeah. Uh, At the time of him being selected to the all-star game, he was at 92 and a third, uh, 16 starts, seven and five record, two one four ERA, 110 strikeouts against 32 walks. His ERA among qualified National League pitchers is only behind Jacob DeGrom, the San Francisco Giants' Kevin Gosman, the Milwaukee Brewers' Brandon Woodruff, the Phillies' Zach Wheeler, and the Washington Nationals' Max Scherzer. Scherzer's the only one of that group that wasn't an All-Star this year, which Hmm. I'm assuming he's going to be one of the alternates. DeGrom's mentioned that he's not going to pitch in the All-Star games. There is going to be room for another pitcher in there. So I would assume Scherzer would be the first one to slot in. But, yeah, but to see his name basically up there in that upper echelon in terms of his stats compared to some of these greats in this first full season of his, which, again, let's see what happens as he continues going, but to see him matching up with these guys through the first three months of his first full big league season has been nothing short of remarkable.
1: Yeah, and he's not just – He's the Marlins Lone All Star, but he's not like the token you gotta have one guy all star. He earned this. Like he, you know, he's on another team and he still gets in with the with the work he's put in. And I mean, this is more impressive even than when Caleb Smith was doing it a few years ago when he was making his all star run until he got hurt. And you know, but then even Sandy's these numbers last year. This is this was very well this was very good to see. Um, one of the guys that they're counting on, you know, one of their first round picks. I mean, how many times have we talked about all the first round picks that have gone belly up for them or haven't, or had just haven't end out to the expectations. I mean, we're going to talk about the futures game and we're going to bring up one very recent first round pick that has been struggling lately in the minor leagues. So, you know, it's again, congrats to Trevor and let's, you know, I hope, he takes a lot from the experience overall, you know, whether you, no matter how much he pitches in the game or does or doesn't, experience itself is going to be so good for him, uh, you know, going forward.
0: Definitely. And on Trevor, just to wrap it up, uh, he's at 92 in the third heading into the Marlins final homestand. Uh, pitching coach Mel Stoudmeyer Jr. mentioned uh, early last month that the they were hoping to keep him around about 175 innings this year. Obviously, he'll be right around that 100 inning mark going into the All-Star break and they were hoping to use that the All-Star break plus moving Trevor to the back end of the rotation, having him be the fifth guy out after the break to give him an extended 10, 12, 13 day rest period. So it'll be interesting to see if the Marlins want him to pitch in the game or just go go out there and get the experience of it. Trevor on Sunday said nothing's been finalized in that front. They're hopefully going to have that figured out at some point over the next few days. But still, like we said, just what he's been able to accomplish, it's definitely deserving. And they got the right pick there. To transition over to the futures game, the Marlins, despite having as deep of the system as they have, a lot of the top 100 prospects, the only one that they got in the futures game is Max Meyer, first round pick from twenty twenty, went straight into double A, and he sure as had to his own. Eleven starts in four and one record, one point six seven ERA, fifty four strikeouts over fifty four innings. He's looked apart in his big in his pro ball debut. Yeah,
1: and and to, again, it's a good showcase for him. You know, I saw it a few years ago when I covered. When Jorge Jorge Guzman went out there and, you know, made his brief appearance, the whole thing, I think it's only going to help, you know, and and, uh, again, you see another first rounder that's doing well for them at the minor league level. I mean, another guy that, you know, maybe didn't have, wasn't as big, maybe the name value, but Jake Eaters had another good, you know, run in the minors this year that, you know, he's one of those pitchers. There's a few of the pitchers that we've talked about that have progressed really, really well, but it's good to see for Max. I think Max is going to have a good opportunity there to really show and to continue to, you know, you don't, in terms of the pitching in the game itself, you don't really get a lot from that because it might, he may only throw, you know, an inning who knows how many pitches. I mean, Guzman threw like 10 fastballs. So you can't really take much from the actual moment. Again, kind of like Trevor, it's that experience Around those guys, just everything I think is going to help and continue as he as he develops. And I think Max has done a phenomenal job, and and it's what we wanted. It's what everybody wanted to see is how he'd perform when he finally faced other teams in the pro ball, not just you know what he did last year at the at the alternate site.
0: Yeah, and now to transition to one of the other guys who, if he was playing to the level of expectation that the Marlins organization and just I'm assuming the baseball community at large is expecting him to, he'd probably be in consideration for as well. JJ Blade, the Marlins 2019 first round pick. Uh, he after going two for four on Sunday, he brought his batting average right to the Mendoza line. He's hitting 253 games for double-A, uh, exact numbers, 39 hits in 195 at bats, uh, 50 strikeouts. Uh, eight double six home runs 23 ribbies i know again that 200 number is just it's tough to look at especially with how advanced of a hair the marlins keep saying he is with what we've been seeing from him in spring training and just the overall expectation for them as they were hoping he would be a pretty fast riser through the system and to see him hitting that hitting that wall there is been interesting to watch now the important thing is to see how he's able to get past that if he is able to get past that
1: yeah and you know sometimes the batting averages I mean when it's that low there's a bit of an alarm bell you're right I mean I I look though at the strikeouts too and that's something you know you you want to see if he's if he's his approach what's going on there is there something wrong with the swing? What, what, what is it exactly, you know, is it a mechanical thing or is it just, you know, what issue is he having that's just not letting him consistently do what he can do and, you know, just show the kind of power that he has and the kind of ability to be that run producer that we saw at Vanderbilt and we've seen at times, you know, but maybe not consistently enough. I mean, this is a guy that's still, I think, you know, some has some tools that, play well, I could play well at the next level if he continues to develop, but it is alarming because again, he's another one of the big investments that they're counting on. And when you look at, you know, a couple of the other guys that were drafted after him that year, but the Martins did not take the Riley greens of the world, DJ Abrams is of the world that I remember going to watch in Atlanta when I was at the athletic and they're tearing it up at the minor league level both of them respectively and you're like are we gonna go look back are we gonna look at this a year from now and say did they make the right pick I mean it's not it's not time for that yet you hope that JJ still can turn this and continue yeah I know he homered the other day maybe it's a maybe that's a positive sign that'll help him along and he's definitely got Still plenty of time to turn this around and continue to, to get back on track for sure. But it does in the back of your head, it kind of, you know, that's there like, all right, at some point we need to see this get better. Or what do they really have uh, from JJ Is He's going to be the guy that they hope and expect him to be.
0: And it also just goes back to what we've been seeing just in general from Marlins, the hitting side, the hitting prospects—they're still trying to continue get through the system. Uh, Still haven't seen. Obviously, Monte Harrison—he's going through a rehab assignment now. He basically been out for bulk of the last month. He was a guy who they probably need to give him one more chance in the big leagues to see what they have from him. Uh, Lewyn Diaz—it's came up a little bit in the big leagues, but they're still not at the point where they're comfortable bringing him up full time yet. Uh, And then you have that still have that second wave of outfielders that you see Peyton Burdick has been a lot of boomer bust since moving up to the double-A level. Still Mm. haven't seen a lot of consistency from the Connor Scotts and the Cam Meisners either. Griffin Conine has been hitting a lot of home runs and drawing walks, but he also has a high strikeout rate. So it's still finding that.
1: Yeah, power has never been an issue for Griffin. We've seen that even when he was with the Blue Jay system.
0: Yeah, so it's still finding that consistency and figuring out what they have from these guys because as they continue moving forward, these are the guys who they're expecting to replace the stopgaps who are up in the big leagues right now and Mm -hmm. may not be with them once we get to the end of the month. So it's a matter of are they going to have to get thrown into the fire again, which has been something that, the organization trying to be hesitant toward and make sure, or are they going to be ready when, when, when their, when their time's called?
1: And, and, and the other thing too is, I mean, yeah, they'll make some, they may make some trades, but you, you're going to have to give a pretty decent piece to get a, a really good piece. We saw that. I mean, they got jazzed by giving up Zach gallon and look at Zach gallon, you know, you're not talking about, some of the pieces that we know that right now everybody's talking about that are going to be the one going to be the guys that they'll be willing to part with the veterans. That may not att- by by themselves. That may not attract caliber of prospect that is that game changer you're talking about that you know would surpass in in terms of level of talent the guy or or the and teams just don't teams just don't give away top ten prospects. They don't. I mean, if they do, you maybe you're going to have to look at it pretty closely because there could be a reason that's not favorable for the team that's acquiring them either. So that's the thing. You're not going to, you know, that or you're, you're going to pay a hefty price to, to get said player. So, you know, that, that that's the dilemma. It's like there's a lot of pressure on, on on them right now to see where – some of these prospects land, there's been some good ones and, and some like JJ, you've seen some guys like, like, like Leywin. you've seen some guys like Jesus Sanchez that have done well, but then at the same time, you're worried about the day and, and what happens from here on again. It, it'll, this is what we're going to be wrestling with for the next year and a half, at least, or maybe longer.
0: Yep. And we'll have a little more clarity at the end of the month, but until then this is going to conclude this episode of fish bites next week's is going to be pretty busy considering we have the draft going on on starting on Sunday. We'll have a final all-star preview and we'll have a little bit of time before the all-star break happens. So expect a lot to go on throughout this next week. And then with the trade deadline at the end of the month, never expect, You never anticipate when some of this movement is going to start happening. I mean, I don't think we saw saw the panic move, the Joe Panic move, coming when it did. So expect a lot to be happening throughout next time. And until then, I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. Thanks so much, everyone.
1: Thanks, guys.